Welcome to the Maternity and Midwifery Hour, brought to you once a week by the Maternity and Midwifery Forum. This podcast is supported by Matflix, video streaming from maternity experts. All your CPD needs made easy. If you need to get your revalidation done or have a student project to complete, Matflix is the one-stop shop. We're now going to be joined by uh, Jess Phillips and Dr. Anita Byrne uh, for the next session, which is to look at um, the difficult issue around uh, domestic violence and how that manifests itself uh, in maternity and midwifery services. Um, so, uh, just wait and see if our colleagues have uh, managed to connect everybody up. Okay, uh, so can I say hello and welcome to Jess Phillips? Hello, nice to hello. meet you. Hello, ah, oh, there you are. <laughs> <laughs> Greetings. Now, are you are you in Birmingham? Can we assume you're in Birmingham? I, I am assume in Birmingham. You're in Birmingham, keeping well. Um, so, uh, Jess Phillips, before you were uh, a member of Parliament, you were actively involved with uh, women's issues, with issues of uh, refuge and issues of domestic violence and during your time in parliament you've kept those issues to uh, the forefront and in your new portfolio uh, do you still have extensive responsibilities for those mm-hmm, that's um, right. so can i just start off by uh, obviously there are a number of big issues in the maternity and midwifery world that have uh, they present themselves in a particularly difficult way um, over the past two years there's been a big campaign around uh, female genital mutilation, mm-hmm. uh, but obviously in the course of uh, the COVID virus crisis, the issue of uh, domestic violence has risen up the agenda. And everybody who works in maternity midwifery knows that the advent of a child it can both be a trigger mm-hmm. uh, in relationships, but also is one of the few occasions when professionals are often close enough to be able to see what is going on. So can I just start off by asking you to give uh, your thoughts on uh, these issues and then we'll, we'll have a discussion and we'll bring in uh, Anita Burke. So over to you, first of all, John. Yeah, I mean, I suppose uh, I, I, most of the people watching this will know that um, for certainly when I worked in refuge and when I was working in domestic violence services and sexual violence services and working with people with... Um, uh, who had been victims of FGM, um, it's almost as if uh, midwifery and health visitors uh, present a sort of very unique silver bullet of access to uh, those women. And it's, 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 there are lots of universal services that we try to lean on as uh, levers to reach uh, women who are in crisis, um, such as schools, GPs, but they're there are very few things in uh, certainly the lives of mothers that are, are, are as universal as midwifery care. So it presents a, a, re- a real opportunity to, to access and reach and, and get women on their own. And there have been all sorts of different schemes over the years that I've been working in domestic violence services 
around uh, the ability for women to uh, be isolated uh, it, for want of a better word because obviously that's what happens to them by their perpetrators but to be isolated with a professional in order to be able to to speak to them the cases that I the worst cases of domestic abuse that I have seen actually um, and not necessarily the most violent but the most controlling tend to have been when women were pregnant there is also a uh, an issue of uh, using pregnancy as a tool to control people that um, I have certainly seen. One of the, the worst domestic homicides that I was uh, ever involved in reviewing, and it was uh, a young woman called Natasha, who incidentally uh, had been in the services that I ran. Um, she was she had uh, had a termination of her pregnancy, and it was that that had triggered essentially the attack that led to her murder because her partner was using her fertility to essentially keep her controlled, keep her housed, keep her accessing benefits. I have seen terrible cases even of, of human trafficking um, where women are brought into this country and used basically as sort of baby farms in order to access uh, benefits for traffickers. So there, there is an absolute huge swathe of safeguarding issues that come around the time of vulnerability for women when they're pregnant. And the, this, the sole reason for that um, is that, I mean, I suppose women's fertility has always been used as a, an act of control over them in one, whether socially or physically. Um, but the, the vulnerabilities that women feel when they are pregnant, and I, you know, I'm 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 a big tough old bird, um, but I remember how fragile and frightened I felt. Genuine fear for the first time when I was pregnant, and with that fear comes the ability for people to control and for you to for for women to feel beholden as well. And now domestic abuse doesn't necessarily it might be exacerbated by alcoholism, substance misuse, uh, you know, somebody with anger issues. But fundamentally, the thing that causes domestic abuse and violence against women and girls is power and control. And people will control people when they can. If you are inclined to be a perpetrator of domestic abuse, you will look for every opportunity to control. And in the period when a woman is pregnant, it is simpler to can control them because they are more vulnerable. They are essentially more dependent in lots of cases. And so the, the role of a midwife in this area, it, you know, it's, it's one of the most important careers you can have in trying to protect people from domestic abuse. You know, and, and actually over the history of um, sort of domestic violence services being in, increasing and people understanding it and the, you know, it becoming part of the national conversation. I'm, I'm not entirely sure that we've sort of with social policy moved at the same pace of resourcing midwifery as a vital part of this particular battle rather than just the sort of functional uh, healthcare job that needs doing to get a baby out of a body. Um, when you've worked with uh, midwives and health visitors, what are the 
best kinds of examples that you could think of as to how to address an issue when um, a midwife or a health visitor would see it, because that's a difficult issue for them, how to initiate a report to the social services or to the police. They've now got a duty, for instance, to report female genital mutilation when they see it. But um, what are the kind of the best kind of experiences you've had working with professionals? The duty to report in FGM, especially when we're talking about children, and the duty to report where we suspect child abuse is absolutely vital. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't argue against those. The duty to report with domestic violence would be a different matter because what we are talking about is uh, adults um, and very tense situations. And uh, and, and really, essentially, the best thing that midwives uh, can do and midwifery training can do is train people into how to safely ask the right questions without compulsion to act. Because what I have seen, certainly uh, in cases where there might be uh, substance misuse issues with the mother, there might be um, other uh, mental health problems, part of what we call the toxic trio um, of people with chaotic lives, is that any the, the, the act of compulsion, uh, where whilst it is appropriate in some cases, can absolutely push people away. So training in how to appropriately and kindly ask the right questions. For me personally, people often call the um, victims of domestic abuse hard to reach, as if it's difficult to approach the subject. But if you are open and you are available and you are seen to be trustworthy and that you will believe somebody, uh, which you know I've spent my entire career building up that reputation, people tell me about their rape in Sainsbury's. They'll stop me at the checkout and tell me about bad things that have happened to them. It is not hard to get people to come forward if you approach it with an open um, and trusting uh, attitude and you show signs, whether that's in your places of work, that, that you will care about it. Um, and the simplest way, I think, is to sort of gently ask somebody, is everything okay at home? It is literally as simple as that and you'd be surprised how many people will come forward. I've had GPs say to me, I had a woman tell me once that a GP, uh, she'd gone to a GP and she'd explicitly said the words, I feel like my husband is strangling me. Um, And she was uh, given inhalers. (laughs) So the, um, you know, professional curiosity in this regard to just gently chip away at broad brush questions and the opportunity that midwives have to do that is is huge and and uh, you know if so if bad things are happening and people are in danger it's absolutely and only right that health professionals would feel that they had to report that through the the right measures however the i mean to be honest you wouldn't necessarily get a particularly great response even if you raise all the flags in the world lots of midwives will tell you that it will take months and months and months to ever get any sort of assessment even in place at the moment but actually the very best thing is a much more gentle and building up a trusting approach and actually during the period of a woman's pregnancy there isn't there is a real opportunity where midwives have the resource and the, the ability to properly build up relationships. Now, obviously, that what I'm describing is a perfect world. Lots of midwifery teams in the country, you will see a woman. And, and I mean, I, I remember my weight chart with my second baby, who was 10 pounds and 10 ounces. 
uh, went like this because I'd had a different midwife each and every time I was measured. And so the, the element of continuity of care doesn't just matter because it's better for the woman. The element of continuity of care when talking about safeguarding actually is life-saving. While this event is free on Facebook Live, on demand afterwards and as a podcast, it's not free to produce. You can support the Maternity and Midwifery Hour on Patreon now. You can sign up as a loyal supporter for as little as £3 a month or a little more to get content early and receive bonus content. Go to www.patreon.com forward slash midwiferyhour and give what you can afford. Your support is greatly appreciated. Um, Sue, can I bring Sue in uh, here? Sue, um, what's your what's your experience from uh, the festivals and the work that you did back at the Royal College of Midwives about how um, people have tried to address this inside the profession? I think, uh, I, thank you, Neil. I think the profession has moved forward with this because I think what Jess is saying about the, the gentle questioning. There was a, a, a whole um, a thing that was supported by the Department of Health and also with work from the University of Bristol, Western, West England, looking at how you could address domestic abuse. Um, because I think, I, I think what the nut, nut of what Jess is saying is there will be some practitioners who want to sort it out. Yeah. And of course, you can't just sort it out. And also, there'll be some practitioners who'll think, I can't sort it out now, so I won't ask. So a lot of the projects before have addressed that to say you don't have to sort it out. What you have to do is start asking the question and building on the relationship and then just trying to flag, even if it's in your own team, that there is a woman at risk. And really, the the issue of continuity here and really listening, unlike that GP with his inhalers, of, of what the woman is actually saying. It's, it te- you have to kind of make sure the woman knows you've got time, and that's very much in the body language, but actually making yeah. sure you do have time for her. Yeah, can I just bring in Anita uh, Byrne? Anita um, is a midwife lecturer at Dundalk, and Anita, you've been doing work on understanding and responding to domestic abuse. How do you how do you present courses and how do you train people to respond and meet some of the points that uh, that Jess Phillips was raising there? Thank you, um, Neil, for inviting me to speak this morning. Yes, um, we developed an innovative um, education program in the Dundalk Institute of Technology um, about three years ago, and it was the first accredited program in Ireland to offer uh, an online, well, it's actually a blended program on responding, understanding and responding to domestic abuse. Because what we found, even in frontline service providers, um, over 90% of them did not have an accredited qualification in understanding and responding. Now, they've been working for, for decades with vulnerable people who have been experiencing domestic abuse, but they didn't have an accredited um, certificate or an accredited award for that. So we developed a program with frontline service providers, with the probation services, with Angadishi Aquana here in Ireland, with our health service executive, and with members of the college fraternity. 
um, and we run a, a 13 week blended program now that looks at understanding and responding to domestic abuse and it's a multidisciplinary program in every in every respect it's it's multidisciplinary in terms of the participants who come on board so we've had midwives we've had Gardaí uh, who are police officers in the UK we have had social workers public health workers um, frontline service providers so they're the participants but also the facilitators of learning on that program also come from all of those aspects as well so we have Gardaí teaching on it we have ourselves as midwife lecturers teaching on it. We have frontline service providers and we have service users engaging with it as well. And what we have found is we undertook an evaluation of that program recently. And what we have found is that um, where there was maybe, uh, this is going back to what Sue and Jess had mentioned, where there might be a lack of confidence uh, in midwives in addressing that issue, our program definitely has addressed that. Um, people who have come onto the program are much more confident in addressing the issue and knowing that it's not a black and white issue, you know, the nuance of domestic abuse, that it, it can't be resolved. It's not an easy problem to resolve. All of that is so important to understand. Um, in addition to knowledge that it just simply being asked sometimes is enough for some women to know that there's an awareness out there to know that part of the routine care of you during your pregnancy will be that we will be asking these questions that sometimes is a comfort blanket enough for some women who are not ready to make that big move away from their abuser so certainly confidence in asking the question raising awareness of uh, the issue of domestic abuse in pregnancy. And most importantly, I suppose, knowing what to do and what not to do um, if a woman does volunteer that information. We found that all of those aspects were improved after students and participants came onto our programme. We just had an online question from uh, Jenny Hall, uh, which relates to what we were discussing in an earlier uh, programme about the increased use of technology. So at the moment, a lot of people are... Um, a lot of midwives are speaking to the mothers remotely and she's uh, what jenny's saying is will the increased move to technology make it easier or more difficult for women to report abuse and if you any experience on uh, when people actually engage with it is it face to face or is well, there sir, a technological route that might be used i we've think got the, um, we've got the telephone position at the moment where people can uh, dial almost an emergency number to ask the police for help yeah. But that, that's at one end of the technological spectrum. Yeah, um, certainly the research up pre-COVID-19 uh, would, would suggest that face-to-face -face contact and that continuity that Jess was speaking about is really important in trust building and in help seeking uh, for women. Now, in the absence of that, and unfortunately that is a big, uh, I suppose, deficit now with COVID-19 and our inability to meet face-to-face, -face. however, um, there are still support services available. Um, and those support services are either via, via telephone or via online support services. And what's really good with these online support services is if a woman or anybody who's experiencing domestic abuse engages with that online um, platform and they are in, disturbed, shall we say, by their abuser, there is an automatic switch on all of those websites that will release them into what looks like maybe just like a Google page. So there's a safety valve there so that women should be confident knowing that they, if they engage with online services, that in every one of those services, there's a switch at the bottom of the page that will automatically move them to a different page if 
um, a perpetrator or an abuser comes into the situation. Um, ideally, a face-to-face -face conversation, that, that continuity, that trust building is better face-to-face. -face. But online services and phone calls are, I suppose, what we have to work with. This is, this is what we have to work with at the moment. And Jess, what, um, I mean, there's been a lot of discussion about uh, domestic abuse during the course of this, obviously much wider than just uh, people, uh, women who are involved with uh, uh, childbirth. But are there any lessons that you can see people learning during this terrible period? Has anything come out that's really struck you as something that we'd want to hold on to afterwards? Well, I mean, I think actually the fundamental of the idea of your home being a prison is something that people realise now. Um, and there is, a, there is a sort of consciousness. I won't take credit for the fact that um, domestic violence has remained uh, quite high up the uh, agenda in the UK with, during the crisis. Um, I think it is because people are recognising their communities in a, a completely different way and their own experience of home. And they're thinking about people who have it worst. It's just a very terribly, you know, sort of stiff upper lip thing to do. You know, you're not enjoying lockdown, so you consider somebody who's got it much worse than you to try and make yourself feel better. I think that there are, will be technological advances, um, actually, th that come out of this. Nothing will ever replace face-to-face -face interaction, nothing can ever. Um, but certainly amongst younger cohorts of victims of violence, um, using web chats and things was often uh, used pre-crisis. And I, th I think that, the, that that level of connectivity, also services working better together, if I could be so bold. I've, um, I've, uh, I've spent the last 10 years in every single report that ever gets written or every homicide review or, or um, serious case review after a child death always what comes out of it is that, that services didn't work properly together and we always talk about how we need to work in partnership together. And I feel actually the response during this crisis has been a much better and multidisciplinary response um, because people didn't have to make excuses about going to the same multidisciplinary meeting each week because their work was piling up on their desk. People could just turn around and look at a computer screen and carry on. So I think that for agencies, there is real potential that uh, that this can carry on and this new way of working will, will ultimately benefit victims uh, because they are not, they're not people who present with just one thing. They, you know, they are complex beings who need people working together to sort out their issues. And I suppose what I would say of, of midwives intervening in this instance is that you cannot be all things to all people. You cannot, it is not on your shoulders to, your shoulders alone to save this person should you perceive that that is what is needed. And that actually what midwifery services up and down the country need is themselves someone to talk to who can respond as a specialist on these particular issues, whether that's a midwife specialist in each service or a specific specialist subject that works very closely with uh, any any particular teams. Because the worst thing is, is when you, you don't want to ask a question because you don't know what you'll do with the answer. And if anything's come out of this crisis, it's that we're all trying to sit around together in meetings just like this and work out what the answer is together.
Sue, in, uh, in, the, in the UK and England, we've seen the development of the midwifery consultant, um, a lot of them specialising in particular areas. Uh, are you aware of um, midwifery consultants that are taking a particular lead on uh, domestic abuse and violence and building up uh, a base of experience? I think I think there are a couple, and and it's generally the consultant midwives who are in public health. But if I can be be a bit of politician <laughs> and say what are something different actually, because Jess was talking just now about midwives, but of course the majority of midwives are women, mm-hmm. and there are midwives who are and have experienced domestic violence themselves, and I think that as a teacher I've kind of discovered that and realized that and and I had a friend also was involved and I think we have to remember not just the women and their families who are the center of our care but also colleagues who might be going through the same Mm. situation and we're still pulled into that same thing of we need to sort it out or we need to do Mm. something and it's the same principles of listening and being available to women at that time um, and I think we can learn from that. And Anita, how much is there out there that's been written about this and about particularly the maternity experience and how the different professionals work together? Is there a good body of evidence building up, not just uh, uh, in Ireland, in the UK, but across the United States? Yes, I mean, it, it's gaining momentum for sure. It, it probably was something that... Um, a lot of people have maybe a counterintuitive difficulty with understanding that domestic abuse can occur during pregnancy, because if we think of pregnancy, it's, you know, a very cherished time, a very nurturing time. And for some people, the idea that domestic abuse, for, for 30% of women who experience domestic abuse, we know that the first time that they are abused is during pregnancy. And that is a very difficult concept to understand for a lot of people. So um, there is certainly a growing awareness and a, a growing body of evidence now looking at domestic abuse, both on a national level in the UK and Ireland, and also on an international level. The um, Embrace report, which is the yearly report that looks at maternal morbidity and mortality, um, researches uh, homicide. And Jess had mentioned this before. And we're, we're learning huge amounts of information from those kind of reports in terms of what is the best practice around asking that question. And routine inquiry should be part and parcel of every booking visit, every booking interview, every first engagement with a woman, that whilst domestic abuse might be common, it doesn't necessarily make it normal, but we have to make it normal to ask the question. Um, and all of the evidence is pointing to that, is telling us that even if women do not volunteer that they are experiencing abuse, knowledge that someone else cares enough to ask that question can hold them and make them aware that should they require support at any point they can ask for it. So in answer to your question, yes, uh, in the past, maybe the whole area of domestic abuse during pregnancy mightn't have been something that was fully understood. But there's a growing body of evidence now and much more PhD research going into it and much more empirical research now, qualitative and quantitative looking at um, the experiences of women who are, who are experiencing domestic abuse during pregnancy. Did I hear you put a percentage on that? Uh, outbreak of domestic abuse associated with pregnancy? Is that an established figure? Yes. What what, what figure was it? 
generally speaking, when you look at the research, the, the figure that's quoted is about for women who are experiencing domestic abuse, about 30% of those will experience it for the first time during pregnancy. So whatever the instigator was, which is generally, and going back to what Jess said, this is all about control. It's all about the perpetrator maintaining, gaining and maintaining control. And for some perpetrators, that control is lessened perhaps in their mind when a woman becomes pregnant because there's another person that needs to be considered here, which is her baby. There's also her ability to engage with other service providers in terms of maternity care services. So all of that is chipping away at the control that the perpetrator may feel that they have with this woman. So for the first time, for 30% of women who experience domestic abuse, it will be during pregnancy. So we're coming to the end of our time. Jess, your final reflections on what we've been discussing this morning and what would be the single step that you would like to see happen after we come out of this virus? I mean, I would like to see better resourced services uh, for uh, vulnerable women across the board, whether that's support services for midwives to lean on, but also just a, a much greater emphasis on uh, safeguarding midwifery that would be able to be done with more resource. Okay. Uh, Jess Phillips, thank you very much for giving us your time and uh, your extraordinary experience and difficult experience in this area. Thank you to Anita Byrne, who's definitely in the top 10 for the best bookshelves. Competition. <laughs> and uh, to Sue McDonald, who has been, oh, oh competition. <laughs> I've got bunting as well. Bunting. Oh, bunting. bunting. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yellow flowers. Yellow is yeah. the colour of the yeah. International uh, Congress of uh, colour for today. So, uh, Jess Phillips and Anita Byrne, thank you very much for giving me your time. And uh, hopefully we'll see you again when we're tackling this subject <laughs> in the future. Thank you for joining us for the Maternity and Midwifery Hour. This podcast has been made possible by the team at Maternity and Midwifery Forum and our CPD partners, Matflix. You can sign up at matflix.co.uk. This episode was edited and produced by Catherine Stewart of the Narrowcast Media Group. and Midwifery Festival will be held entirely online. With 600,000 babies born each year, midwives aren't about to let COVID-19 stop them in their tracks. We might not be able to come together in Manchester to celebrate and share knowledge, to network and recharge our batteries, but we've got the next best thing. A day of leadership, education and clinical updates to keep you abreast of the latest developments and innovations, all at the click of a mouse. We look forward to welcoming you to the Northern Maternity and Midwifery Online Festival on Tuesday the 23rd of June 2020.